We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. LCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. So what is the answer to all this anger and envy over evildoers, this coveting of what they have and you don't? Well, that's what Psalm 37 is about. As David tells us that there is a solution to this fretting, this anger. And that solution is found in two basic truths, which he lays out for us in the opening section of the psalm. Truth number one, he says, is that you have to look ahead into the future. And by faith, see what lies ahead for those unbelievers who are so very prosperous right now. Right now. Those are two key words, aren't they? One of the most famous Western movies of all time was The Magnificent Seven. Practically every male star in Hollywood was in that movie. There's a short dialogue between a couple of the characters that reminds me of those unbelievers who are so prosperous right now. An old man warned Vin, You worry about yourself. Are you ready for him? Referring to a very dangerous man. What if he comes now, huh? Vin replied nonchalantly, Reminds me of that fellow back home that fell off a 10-story building. Someone else asked, What about him? Vin said, Well, as he was falling, people on each floor kept hearing him say, So far, so good. We might offer the same warning to the godless who prey on the godly. Are you ready for God? What if he comes now? The wicked who are so very prosperous right now are all thinking, So far, so good. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'll have more about Lakeside later. Mark Twain said, Don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of the people don't care. The other 20% will think you deserve them. And there is a bit of truth to that, but there is still one person who doesn't seem to mind when we complain. One of the most remarkable things about the book of Psalms is the number of complaints David made to God. We like to think of the Psalms as songs of praise, and there is a lot of praise in this book. But laments, anxiety, and even despair are all through this great book. There is no attempt to whitewash the anguish God's people often feel, and that anguish is often the result of the injustice of this sin-cursed world. But in Psalm 37, David gave us some fantastic guidance in dealing with those fears, frustrations, and jealousies. I hope you find comfort today as Pastor Steve continues our study titled, Fret Not Because of Evildoers. For the last few years, we have had the enormous privilege as a congregation of studying the Psalms. And the reason it's been such a privilege It's because there are so many wonderful benefits to studying these inspired songs. See, the Psalms offer us comfort in our griefs. They offer us hope in our discouragements. They teach us how to battle through our doubts and unbelief. They instruct us on on how to give God praise. They give us prophetic insight into the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They reveal to us the character, the exalted character of God, and the utter lowly depravity and wickedness of man. And they present God to us as the one who can always be trusted, always be trusted because he is faithful, as we've been singing, faithful to keep his word. But in addition to all these spiritual benefits, perhaps the major reason why we find ourselves so attracted to the Psalms and and so drawn to what they have to say isn't simply because we benefit from them, although that's true, but because of the remarkable honesty of the men who penned them. You see, these men didn't hesitate to share that they had fears, they had anxieties, they had doubts, they had confusions, they had struggles with all kinds of, of sinful behavior, just like we do. At times, these men complained about their rotten circumstances. At times, they were depressed. At times, they felt as if God wasn't listening to their prayers. Sometimes they felt defeated by their sin. And sometimes they, they felt as if God had abandoned them to their enemies, to the mercy of their enemies who didn't have a whole lot of mercy. And they were on the verge of being defeated and being killed by those who hated them. But rather than being turned off by the candor of these men who pen the Psalms, we actually are encouraged by their honesty, aren't we? We're encouraged by them. Why? Because we can relate to men like this. Because we have the same kinds of spiritual struggles. We have the same kinds of battles that these individuals had. Concerning the honesty of the psalmist, one Bible teacher put it this way, said, I know of nothing in the spiritual life more discouraging than to meet the kind of person who seems to give the impression that he or she is always walking on the mountaintop. That's certainly not true in the Bible. The Bible tells us that these men, the psalmist, knew what it was to be cast down, to be in sore and grievous trouble. Many a saint in his pilgrimage has thanked God for the honesty of the writers of the Psalms. They do not just put up an ideal teaching, which was not true in their own lives. Perfectionist teachings are never true. They're not true to the experience of the people who teach them, for we know that they are fallible creatures like the rest of us. They put their teaching of perfection forward theoretically, but it's not true to their experience. Thank God the psalmists do not do that. They tell us the plain truth about themselves, and they tell us the plain truth about what has happened to them. Now, we want to continue looking at one of those psalms where the honesty and the transparency of the writer is very apparent, and that is Psalm 37. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 37. Now, for the last few sessions, we've been looking at this psalm, and what we've discovered is that David, the author, inspired by God, but the human writer, is writing about a problem that many of the believers of his day were struggling with. So note this, unlike many of the other psalms where the writer speaks very openly about something that he was struggling with personally, the issue that David describes here in Psalm 37 is something that was disturbing others, not him, something that was disturbing others. And so his focus is on giving us an accurate and an honest picture of a problem of many who were believers in his day, a problem with them not him. Now, as we've seen in previous sessions, the issue that they were stressed over was that there were many ungodly people in the land of Israel in that day who, in spite of their ungodliness 
and their lack of any concern for the Lord and his law, they were experiencing a great deal of prosperity. They were having a lot of material success, while they, the godly, the believers in the Lamb, who were concerned about honoring the Lord and his word, they were experiencing poverty and persecution at the hands of these wicked people. Notice how the psalm begins, because verse 1 tells us everything we need to know about the situation that David was addressing. gets right to the point. Verse 1, he says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. Now, what David is telling us in this statement is that these people were fretting, which as we've seen before, fretting means that they were angry. They were upset. We would say they're hot under the collar. They were irritated. They were annoyed. And all of that was taking place because they couldn't understand why such evildoers were doing so well while they were struggling just to make ends meet. And and we know that this was what their fretting was about because a few verses later, in verse 7, the second part of verse 7, we read this, Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. So the prosperity of the wicked was the issue that the believers were struggling with. See, their problems stem from the fact, and this is important to understand, stem from the fact that God had made a covenant with Israel, the Jewish people. Leviticus 26 tells us about this. And this covenant, in this covenant, God promised to bless those who obeyed him and to send judgment in the form of, of disasters, physical disasters, on those who disobeyed him. And all of those blessings and all of those judgments were to take place, note this, in the context of the land of Israel, in the context of the land, in terms of the people's agricultural fruitfulness or famine. That is to say that if they obeyed him, the Lord promised to bless them with the fruitfulness, with productivity, on their farmlands, and if they disobeyed him, he said he would judge them with all kinds of physical disasters, like shortage of food and disease, with the most severe judgment being that they would be ruled over by others in their own land, or worse, they would be expelled from the land, which is what eventually happened. But what the believers in David's day observed, what they saw taking place was just the opposite. The wicked were experiencing prosperity, abundant food supply, and and success in many areas of life while they were experiencing a shortage of food and they were failing in many areas, and this greatly bothered them. This is why David mentioned so often in the psalm that they were fretting in the context of the land. Notice these verses, verse 3, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Verse 9, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Notice it's always the land. Verse 11, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Verse 22, for those blessed by him will inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Verse 34, wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. So their struggle then had to do with evildoers prospering with an abundance of blessings related to their food productivity. And listen, in a culture based on agriculture, that's big. That's, that's huge. 
But not only were these believers upset over the material prosperity of the wicked, that was just one issue, primary issue, but not the only one. According to verse 1, if you look at it again, what compounded their problem was that they were envious of the prosperity of the wicked. Notice what David says in the second part of this verse. He says, be not envious toward wrongdoers. In other words, they were jealous of all the wealth of these wrongdoers, and they wanted what they had. They coveted, envious, jealous. So that was the situation facing David as he sat down to pen Psalm 37. And rather than gloss over the sin of these believers and pretend that everything was fine when it wasn't, David honestly tackles this problem by admitting that many who love the Lord in Israel were irked and annoyed and jealous because the wicked were gaining wealth while they were struggling just to make it. It's very likely also that some of their anger was directed towards God for what they perceived as him not doing anything. Now, we can be very thankful that David did not evade addressing this issue because many of us here today have had similar struggles, and maybe you're still struggling with it, similar struggles as these ancient believers. We know many ungodly people who just seem to have it all. They have what we would call the good life. Lots of money, relatively good health, a secure job that pays them well, a nice home, and a number of very comfortable luxuries. While you, who are trying to honor the Lord, have all kinds of money issues, health concerns, a job that pays very little, and a home that's, well, let's just say it's modest. And by comparison to others, very few luxuries. And you're bothered by this. So, so what is the answer to all this, this anger and envy over evildoers, this coveting of what they have and you don't? Well, that's what Psalm 37 is about, is David tells us that there is a solution to this fretting, this anger. And that solution is found in two basic truths, which he lays out for us in the opening section of the psalm. Truth number one, he says, is that you have to look ahead into the future. And by faith, see what lies ahead for those unbelievers who are so very prosperous right now. Verse 2, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Now, David says that their prosperity, the prosperity of the ungodly, it's very brief. It's very momentary. It's seasonal, like the grass that flourishes just for a season, and then it's gone because it withers up and then dies. And so these evildoers flourish for only a moment in time, but then they pass away, and their prosperity is no more. It does not last forever. Now, David will come back again and really again and again to this thought of the fleeting, very temporary success of evildoers, but he tells us here, right at the beginning of the psalm, in order to immediately help us get our eyes off of our present poor circumstances and our eyes off of other people and our eyes on to eternity. We are, as the Apostle Paul put it in Colossians 3, we are to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of this world. And Peter tells us that we are 
simply aliens and strangers in this world. The Apostle John exhorts us not to love the things of this world. Why? Because he says the world is passing away and all of its desires go with it. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that we are to walk by faith like our spiritual ancestors did. Those great Old Testament men and and women of faith who were looking for a better world to come, he says, rather than being consumed with seeking luxuries and comforts during their very brief sojourn on earth. Now, that is the first way that David says we solve this problem of fretting over evildoers. We are to look ahead to the future and see how momentary the success of these evildoers really are. They will all pass away very soon, and then nothing will be left of their success. It is actually a very bleak and dismal future for them in light of the fact that they will enter eternity lost and without God forever. But there's a second way that David says that we are to solve the problem of being upset and and coveting what others have. Not only are we to look ahead to the future, but David tells us we are to look up to God. We are to look up to God. See, starting in verse 3, David gives us a number of commands, all of them concerning our relationship with the Lord. They're all intended to deepen our walk with him. That's their design. Deepen our walk with him so that we have victory over being annoyed and envious at the wicked. First, notice he tells us, In verse 3, to trust in the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now, what he means by this, and all this is somewhat review, what he means by this is that we are to trust God to provide for our needs, not trusting him just in general. What's the context? The context is that you're coveting what other people have. Trust God. He will meet your needs. Why? Because he is faithful to do that. He's faithful to keep his word. And his word, in the context of what he promised Israel and what the New Testament teaches us, is that he will provide for us exactly what we need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, Jesus said, will be provided for you. So we don't need to be stressed if others have more than we do. Why? Because, number one, they're going to soon die. They're going to soon die, and they will lose it all. Number two, because God has promised to provide for all of our needs. So we are not to worry. We are to trust him because he is always faithful to keep his word. Secondly, David tells us that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. Verse four, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Instead of longing for the material goods, note this, that others delight in, that others enjoy, David tells us that we are to delight in the Lord. We are to enjoy him. That is to say, we are to enjoy the Lord for who he is, and we are to be satisfied with him. Not satisfied just because he gives us things, but satisfied with him, with his character. We gaze upon his character as we study his word. We gaze upon his works. We We contemplate them as they're revealed in Scripture. We behold his beauty. We're captivated by his majesty, by his excellencies. Listen, this is a good time to to consider reading a book on the attributes of God. Go to Bruce Mill's class on 
Wednesday nights, the Acts class, you're teaching theology proper, which is about the person of God. Let your mind be stretched as to who God is. When we do that, David says, God will give us, he tells us, the desires of our hearts. Why? Because those desires will now be righteous desires rather than envious, covetous desires. See, this is why this is the solution to coveting. When we delight in the Lord, God changes our hearts so that instead of desiring what other people have, we now have godly desires. Third, David tells us to commit our way to the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he'll do it. Now, what David means by this is that we are to roll all of our burdens onto the Lord. That's what commit means. Roll those burdens from yourself onto the Lord so that we stop carrying these, these heavy loads of anger and envy. We are to cast every care upon him, and we are to trust him to provide for us. Why? Because he will do it. Now, I know that we covered all of this last session, but I wanted to go over this again briefly because I want these truths to be driven deep into us, into our hearts, because, folks, these are the truths that liberate you from resenting the success of others. It'll free you from coveting what other people have. So you've got to apply this to your lives. You've got to absorb this. You've, you've got to think differently. You've got to meditate on these truths during the week and have the Lord build these truths into your lives. Now, today we want to continue looking up to God along the same lines as David has been teaching us, because David gives us now one more command in terms of our relationship with the Lord, a command that will enable us to stop fretting over evildoers. He tells us in verse 7 to rest in the Lord. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Now, having told us to trust in, to delight in, to commit our way to the Lord, David now tells us to rest in him and wait patiently for him. So what does that mean? How do we rest in the Lord? And what are we to patiently be waiting for? Well, the Hebrew word, this Hebrew word rest, it literally means to be still, be quiet, to be silent. And the thought here is that instead of complaining, instead of verbally complaining and having an irritable, grumpy spirit that begrudges the success of others and wants what they have, we are to calmly resign ourselves to just being quiet both with our mouths and in our hearts, trusting the Lord to work everything out. You know, being silent is a wonderful quality. It's something that is hard to achieve in our very noisy, our very loud and hectic world. With all the gadgets around us that are capable of making sounds, it is hard for us to just be silent and quiet. In fact, one philosopher said that the basic thing wrong with the world is that man, and I quote, does not know how to stay quietly in his own room. I'm not sure he was kidding, but that is what he said. But David's point here in Psalm 37 is that we aren't to just be quiet. He's not just saying go in your room and be quiet. He's saying we are to be quiet in the Lord. 
in the Lord. That is to say, we are to leave everything in God's hands as we wait upon him to work out all of these things that are troubling us. And in this case, what was troubling these believers, as we've been saying, is that evildoers were prospering in spite of all the wickedness that they were doing. To be quiet when evil seems to thrive is not to accept evil. It is to recognize that God has a plan, and while it might look today like that plan is failing, we keep in mind that He is the sovereign King of the universe, and He will balance the books before it's all said and done. To be quiet is to wait patiently for that great I told you so moment when Jesus will return as He promised and subdue His creation. At that time, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. We hope you'll visit our website at versebyverseradio.org. We have hundreds of previous broadcasts in MP3 format available for free streaming or downloading. Those are on the Message Archive page. There's also a page dedicated to giving. We are very thankful for the generous people whose gifts help pay for the airtime and other expenses involved in getting verse-by-verse on the air. If you have questions about supporting this ministry, about your faith, or about Lakeside Chapel, call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope this series from Psalm 37 is helping you keep your focus on the Lord 